On March the 11th, I announced that I was opening up all vaccination sites to all adults by May 1st. I'm announcing today that we're moving that date up from May 1st to April 19th nationwide. Flip-flop. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Pick a date, Biden. I got the feeling that something right. So confusing. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Hey, yep. Hey there, from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst others, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, And all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the Bradcast. Let's kick off today with some encouraging news. Oh, goody. On a day when, I got to tell you, I'm sort of uh, half ticked off. I'm half (laughs) saddened. I'm half confused. I'm half delighted about some of what I hope to cover. And yes, I know that is four halves, but you know... Math on on air is difficult. Yeah, okay, who can do math? (laughs) But it does mean it's another big show with all of those halves, I guess. First, uh, picking up quickly... Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, Picking up from where we left off a bit on yesterday's show in discussing the impressive rate of COVID vaccinations going on in the U.S., even as the effort to vaccinate as many Americans as possible is now running sort of neck and neck with the virus's ability to mutate and become more deadly, potentially in a way that our current vaccines may or may not be able to effectively handle. That's why it's so important to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible. At least according to, you know, people who know these things, epidemiologists and so forth. So uh, on Tuesday, President Joe Biden announced that he is moving up his deadline for states to make all American adults eligible for a coronavirus vaccine. He's moving it up by almost two weeks. Every adult in the country will now be able to be vaccinated as of April 19, according to uh, initially, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Tuesday. 
that instead of Biden's originally announced deadline of May 1. Saki noted that the administration has now reached 150 million shots in arms since taking over and that by April 19, all adult Americans will be eligible to get the vaccine. She noted that doesn't mean that they will get it that day. It means <laughs> they can join uh, join the line, essentially, that yeah. day if they have not already done that beforehand. Right. Appointments will open up for everybody who is an adult over 18. Saki said it means that everybody will be eligible to go to their local pharmacy, to go to their community health center, their mobile vaccination site, uh, mass vaccination sites uh, on uh, on that date and moving forward as of April 19. Here was Joe Biden today at the White House uh, discussing the same matter after a visit to a community center dispensing vaccines. That means by no later than April 19th in every part of this country, every adult over the age of 18, 18 or older will be eligible to be vaccinated. No more confusing rules. No more confusing restrictions. My message today is a simple one. Many states have already opened up to all adults. But beginning April 19th, every adult in every state, every adult in this country is eligible to get in line to get a COVID vaccination. Get in line. <laughs> so so strict. Uh, last week, he had, he had announced that 90% of adults would be eligible to get the vaccine by April 19 and have a vaccination site within five miles of where they live, wherever they may live. Uh, Biden said the number of uh, pharmacies participating in the federal pharmacy vaccination program was increasing from the current 17,000 locations to 40,000 locations. He also said last week that his administration would open up 12 additional federally run mass vaccination sites. In the past week now, new sites have been announced in Tennessee, Wisconsin, Maryland, South Carolina, Colorado and Minnesota. So, yeah, this is moving quickly forward right now. President also uh, uh, announced 150 million doses of the coronavirus vaccine have been administered in his first 75 days in office. That is in line with his recently upgraded goal of 200 million shots by his 100th day in office. More than 75 percent of people now over the age of 65 have received a shot. Over 55% of them are fully vaccinated over the age of 65, according to the U.S. Uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, that number was 8% when Joe Biden took office about 75 days ago. He's also stressed that while the country is now vaccinating a record number of Americans, the battle against COVID-19 is far from won as cases as we discussed yesterday, are once again on the rise. The virus is spreading because we have too many people who seen the end in sight think we're at the finish line already. But let me be deadly earnest with you. We aren't at the finish line. We still have a lot of work to do. We're still in a life and death race against this virus. Until we get more people vaccinated, we need everyone to wash their hands, socially distance and mask up in a recommended mask from the CDC. What we do now is going to determine how many people will 
we'll save or lose in the month of April and May and June before we get to July 4th. July 4th, of course, being the date that uh, Biden had previously called for uh, Americans to be able to not have large gatherings, but have, you know, backyard barbecues, neighborhood gatherings and uh, so forth with friends and family. And right now we're sort of on target for that, depending on how many people actually do get in line to get their vaccine. Indeed. And and remember this, I, I think he said it in pretty stark terms, so I will underscore it. This is going to help determine who gets to live and die in April, May and June. So it would be a great idea for everybody to show some concern for the common good and get out there and get vaccinated, help your friends and neighbors get vaccinated, help any elderly people you know or disabled people you know to get vaccinated, volunteer to help people get vaccinated so we can save more lives between now and July 4. The uh, president has also called on every governor, mayor and local leader to maintain and in some cases to reinstate mask mandates. Good luck with that. His uh, plea comes as some states have lifted requirements for masks and allowed businesses to return to full capacity, even against the advice and guidelines from public health experts. More than 556,000 Americans have now died from COVID-19 as of Tuesday morning, according to the conservative figures from Johns Hopkins University. Uh, 500. That's a lot of America. Anyway, um, there approximately 167 million vaccine doses have been administered, according to the CDC. So with that moderately encouraging news, I guess uh, we move forward to some sad, though not completely unexpected news today. Democratic Congressman Alcee Hastings of Florida. A former, a former federal judge and civil rights activist in his 15th term in Congress has died at the age of 84, according to a statement issued by his family on Tuesday. Hastings said in early 2019 that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and was undergoing treatment at Georgetown University's Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center in D.C. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said in a statement on Tuesday that the congressional community is devastated by Hastings' death. All who knew Alcee knew him as a champion for the most vulnerable in our nation, she said. Over his nearly 30 years in Congress, he fought tirelessly to create opportunities to lift up working families, communities of color, children and immigrants, Congressman Hastings leaves behind a powerful legacy, she said, of activism and action on behalf of Floridians and all Americans. Florida Congressman Ted Deutsch sent us a statement today on the passing of Hastings, noting that he is heartbroken by the loss, stating that he had the honor of working side by side with Alcee for more than a decade as Alcee devoted his career to advancing civil rights for all Americans and human rights around the world, his leadership on racial justice issues brought together everyone committed to a more just and equitable society, says Congressman Deutsch, adding Alcee spoke up for the quiet voices that would otherwise go unheard. He never backed down from a fight for the people he represented and anyone else. Who needed defending, says Deutsch. 
Congressman Charlie Crist, who was a Republican governor of Florida before becoming a Democrat, said he had, quote, long admired Congressman Hastings' advocacy for Florida's black communities during a time when such advocacy was ignored at best and actively suppressed or punished at worst. Hastings began his career as a civil rights lawyer, including fighting to desegregate schools in Broward County, Florida. In 1979, President Jimmy Carter appointed him to the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida, making him the state's first black federal judge. Well, it wasn't long before Congress impeached him and removed him from the bench in 1989 on charges of bribery and perjury stemming from a criminal trial six years earlier in which he had been acquitted. In 1992, a federal court subsequently ruled that the Senate had improperly removed Hastings, and he then went on to win election to the House as a congressman shortly thereafter. When he, uh, when Hastings announced his cancer diagnosis in uh, January of 2019, he wrote that he had considered whether the disease would affect his ability to do his job. But after speaking with doctors, he said, quote, I have been convinced that this is a battle worth fighting and my life is defined by fighting battles worth fighting. Uh, Hastings death now means that there will be yet another vacancy in the U.S. House and that will narrow the Democratic majority uh, even further, making it increasingly harder for the party to pass legislation without near total agreement on just about everything. Uh, with his death, there are now 218 Democrats and 211 Republicans in the U.S. House. That with six seats vacant. The one of those seats is expected to be filled next week by Julia Letlow. She's a Republican who won a special election recently in Louisiana after her husband, Representative-elect Luke Letlow, died of COVID-19 after his election, but before he could be sworn into Congress. Uh, so that will narrow the Democratic majority even further, at least until the various special elections uh, to, uh, to, to fill a Hastings seat and, and those of several members who were appointed to the Biden administration until those special elections are carried out. Nonetheless, with the narrow majority in the U.S. House, Democratic House Speaker has uh, Nancy Pelosi has been quite effective at moving a ton of legislation and rather progressive legislation at that. In fact, thanks in no small part to the tough progressive caucus in the U.S. House, even as a bottleneck of bills once again begins to stack up waiting for action over in the U.S. Senate, where Republican obstructionism and the use of the filibuster on everything, and I mean everything proposed by Democrats, is now preventing every bill essentially from being adopted in the U.S. Senate unless it can be moved through the Senate's arcane budget reconciliation process, which allows budget-related measures to be approved on a simple majority vote, which is how Biden's popular $1.9 trillion COVID relief and stimulus uh, law uh, now known as the uh, American Rescue Plan. That is how that was passed with all 50 Democrats voting in favor of it and every Republican in both the House and Senate voting against it. 
But on that point now, we have some very good news, and it really is very good news that broke last night uh, from the U.S. Senate, not long after we got off air. Now, I, I discussed this a little bit on one of our shows last week. Uh, I think it was uh, after my conversation with David Dayan, the yes, American prospect so. David Dayan, uh, regarding Joe Biden's infrastructure bill. That's the American Jobs Plan, the uh, $2.25 trillion plan. And that, like Biden and the Democrats' COVID legislation, the American uh, Rescue Plan, the American Jobs Plan, which is an infrastructure, jobs, and climate bill, that that would also likely need to be adopted under the states, uh, under the uh, Senate's arcane budget reconciliation process that would work around minority rule in the U.S. Senate by filibustering Republicans there. So I noted that this was uh, only possible that there was two reconciliation processes this year because Republicans last year failed to adopt a fiscal 2021 budget resolution. So that allowed the Democrats to do so themselves this year for 2021 and to use that same trick twice this year, once for 2021 and then a second time under the fiscal year 2022 budget resolution bill. However, as I noted last week, there was another trick, a potential trick that was being reported uh, up Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's sleeve uh, that he was hoping that he would, you know, be able to get to pass muster with the Senate parliamentarian, though he said that he was waiting to hear back from her at the time on it. And this regards the even more arcane and I don't believe ever actually even used, at least not in this way, the even more arcane Section 304 of the Congressional Budget Act of 1974. Des, can you uh, tell us about Section 304 <laughs> of the... Ah, uh, hell no. No? Okay. <laughs> well, it, what it does is it actually allows the Senate to revise the budget resolution, in this case for fiscal year 2021 to create additional reconciliation instructions. So essentially, they can do it again, setting up pathways to pass, well, at least two more bills this year with just a simple majority in the 50-50 Senate. So they're basically just adding additional instructions. That's all they're doing. That's they're just adding instructions to this, and of course they get to do it under a simple uh, up or down majority vote. Bypassing the McConnell veto. Correct. So this, uh, well, when I talked about last week, I noted it would be huge if, in fact, the parliamentarian agreed that the Senate rules would allow this, allow the additional use of more reconciliation packages, essentially, that could be passed with a simple majority. And holy cow, guess what happened after we got off the air on Monday night? The Senate parliamentarian ruled that Democrats can use the special budgetary rules to avoid a GOP filibuster on at least at least two more pieces of legislation this year to be passed with a simple majority. As Alexander Bolton at The Hill reports today, it's a win for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer that allows him to pass Biden's $2.25 trillion infrastructure package by revising 
the fiscal 2021 budget resolution that was already used to pass the COVID relief and stimulus bill, revise that and use that to also pass the infrastructure bill. Schumer could pass a budget resolution for fiscal 2022 to then do a third reconciliation package for the expected second half of that infrastructure agenda. Or the fiscal 2021 budget could be revised a third time to set up a third reconciliation pack, uh, package. In essence, this trick can now be used infinite times, it seems, as long as the Senate parliamentarian continues to play along. Now, though, we, we have yet to hear from the parliamentarian directly on this, but a spokesman for Schumer said in a statement on Monday night, quote, the parliamentarian has advised has advised that a revised budget resolution may contain budget reconciliation instructions. This confirms the leader's interpretation of the Budget Act and allows Democrats additional tools to improve the lives of Americans if Republican obstruction continues. I wonder if it will. Uh, while no decisions have been made on a legislative path forward using Section 304 and some parameters still need to be worked out, the spokesperson said the parliamentarian's opinion is an important step forward that this key pathway is available to Democrats if needed. So, yes, this is potentially huge underscore huge news if it gives democrats i mean it gives them much more leeway to pass more of their agenda more than anyone thought they actually would have this year in fact the the, the fact that they had two cracks at reconciliation as is before the parliamentarian's decision here the fact that they had two cracks at it previously uh, was only due to a, a stroke of sort of luck that Republicans did not bother to use that option themselves last year when they still had control of the Senate. But now that that option uh, to use it twice has just been expanded bigly this year, this could potentially be a be a game changer. It could as be. They say. I will look forward to the moment when it is official. Because you're just not there. You, you, know, you just listen, can't get too I, excited. You're <laughs> waiting for the other shoe to drop. Am, you think the parliamentarian is going to change her mind. It's going to be replaced. I do it's not gonna... trust Republicans and especially I... Mitch McConnell any further than I can throw them. And as you know, I do not throw that far. No, you don't. But you've tried. You, I know you'd like <laughs> to try. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind here is that uh, budget reconciliation can only be used on measures that significantly, whatever that means, significantly affect the federal budget. And that decision about what affects or doesn't the federal budget is also left up to the Senate parliamentarian woman by the name of Elizabeth McDonough, who we should all be very nice to for the <laughs> next couple of months. Uh, you will recall that she is the one who had said that the attempt to raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour in the COVID rescue package, that would not qualify for passage under reconciliation. So it's not like she's some, you know, lefty pinko uh, doing favors for the Democrats here. Oh, hardly. So when she said that that couldn't be passed under rec that uh, uh, raising the minimum wage 
couldn't be passed under reconciliation. That led to some attempted uh, tricks uh, to try to get it passed in a different way under reconciliation. Those tricks were abandoned for the moment to, you know, basically try to figure out how to make it more budget related by maybe adopting a provision that wouldn't mandate the $15 an hour minimum wage, but would charge a tax, would institute a tax on companies which did not raise their own rates to, uh, uh, to their pay rates to $15 at a, as a minimum. But anyway, that was eventually abandoned. Democrats couldn't figure out how to do it, couldn't agree on how to do it in a timeline that would allow for the quick passage that they had sought for the uh, COVID bill. But that could come back again now in all of this. And so this means that uh, as long as it's budget-related, they can get it in this year. Now, stuff like H.R. 1, the For the People Act, the election and campaign reform bill, uh, campaign finance reform bill, that would uh, likely not pass muster under reconciliation as it is currently conceived, unless some really you know creative thinkers come up with some way to rethink voting rights to become a budget bill in some way. Good luck. So this is not going to solve all of the problems for Democrats, even if it does move forward, as Desi feels it uh, fears. As I hope. As, as, I as hope. he fears that it won't. How's that? <laughs> but, uh, you know, unless they can reform uh, the, the Senate filibuster or kill it entirely, this is going to go a long way to help sort of big time. And it, it as I said, it's going to be a game changer. The new ruling... Uh, according to The Hill, will enable Chuck Schumer and Speaker Nancy Pelosi to break up Biden's infrastructure bill into two legislative packages, as they had been discussing. The first part is the uh, $2.25 trillion measure unveiled last month by the White House with the more traditional infrastructure priorities that, you know, Republicans are claiming are not uh, traditional at all. Pipes! Lead pipes in our water system? That's not infrastructure. It's ridiculous, obviously. It's only infrastructure when a Republican president proposes it. Exactly right. Uh, we will talk more about that in Desi Doyen's Green News Report coming up <laughs> later. But the uh, second part of that infrastructure, as uh, David Dayan described it last week, would be the care portion of the bill. The, the human infrastructure. Correct. Um, with more people-focused uh, things uh, that progressives have been pushing for, like expanded child care, free community college, universal pre-K, uh, pre and more affordable housing, and so forth. So, uh, of course, all of this, in order to even be passed, if, it, if the Senate parliamentarian gives the thumbs up, if it can be passed under reconciliation, that means that all the Democrats would have to stay well, stay healthy. There's only 50 of them. They need all 50 of them in order to pass any of this, which means that uh, even conservative Democrats like Joe Manchin are going to have to somehow come along. Senate Finance Committee Chair Ron Wyden of Oregon, who has jurisdiction of the tax legislation that Democrats plan to pass in order to pay for part of Biden's infrastructure bill, uh, Wyden applauded the parliamentarian's decision. He said, I'm pleased by the par parliamentarian's ruling that budget resolutions can be revised, allowing us to consider moving additional bills through the process. The American people want bold action, he said, to address our country's many challenges. And Democrats 
now have more options to overcome Republican obstruction and get things done. Ron Wyden in a statement on Monday night. The Hill quotes an angry GOP aide charging. You can almost hear hear the aide shaking his fist. I assume it's a his because, you know, they're Republicans. The aide said, this is an abuse of the process and clearly not what reconciliation was designed to do. But they're going to go forward anyway, the infuriated GOP aide said. Well, maybe. I don't know if it was clearly what was it was designed to do or not. But where do you think that Democrats learned these kind of tricks, you idiot? And why do you think that it's necessary for them to do it at all? Because your caucus has decided to stop legislating completely simply because there is a Democrat in the White House. Anyway, Republican unwillingness to legislate at the federal level because they don't have complete control of the majority has not stopped Republicans from legislating at the state level, as you know, if only because of the controversial voter suppression bill recently rammed through the Georgia state legislature, which has led to all sorts of problems for the state and even for big corporations now that are calling out they're otherwise very close, usually very close Republican friends. And that has unleashed quite a show from Republicans today, suggesting that they are really, really mad at those darn corporations. Don't buy it. I will explain why right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. Well chosen, Desi. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I'll tell you what. This uh, Republican Party, let me actually let me digress okay. uh, just a little bit, because, <laughs> you know, I, I've noticed in the past couple of weeks uh, listen, listening to myself on this show. Mm-hmm. I kind of sound like a Democrat. I'm not a Democrat. I'm uh, uh, well, as they call us out here in California, decline to state. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, independent. But the Republican Party, as I had warned for so many years, going back Years and years, and everybody would, you know, when I brought this up, wow, that's just because you're a Democrat, you're a, a liberal, you're whatever. No, I was trying to point out that the Republican Party was going off the rails. It wasn't a matter of policy differences I had with them. It was that they were becoming insane. And this was long before Donald Trump. Well, I think they have now completed that long trip off the rails to total madness. Yes. Total incoherent insanity. 
And again, it's not a policy thing. It has nothing to do with policy, and that's one of the things that's so frustrating about what's going on. What they're doing has nothing to do with policy. It doesn't even have to do with Republican principles, with things that they think they believe in because they are clearly happy to toss out, toss aside, throw over a cliff, anything. This is definitely that, not your great-grandfather's no. Republican Party. Yeah, anything that they used to pretend to believe in, that's all out the window. Anyway, just the latest example now. On Monday, minority Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell railed, railed against the backlash from top businesses like Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines and others who spoke out against the new suppressive voting laws in the state of Georgia, which uh, those uh, Coca-Cola and Delta and others came out. Uh, that was then followed by Major League Baseball pulling their all-star game out of Atlanta in response to this uh, attack on democracy. Uh, the game had been scheduled there for July. And now, by the way, on Tuesday, uh, Major League Baseball announced that the game would be moved. They had they had previously said they were pulling it out of Atlanta. They didn't say where they're going to move it to. Well, this year it is going, they announced uh, they're going to move it to Denver, which subsequently led to Fox News. Do you have this clip? Yep. Fox News, uh, uh, Peter Ducey? Yes, son of Steve. Boy Ducey? Mm-hmm. Baby Ducey, uh, he <laughs> said that these guys, uh, they haven't learned their lessons yet uh, when it comes to dealing with Jen Psaki at the White House. They haven't learned that it does not work to try and outsmart Jen Psaki because she's really smart. Uh, and so this announcement about moving the All-Star game to Denver led to this pathetic exchange at the White House today between Ducey and Psaki after Ducey tried to compare Georgia's voting laws to Colorado's voting laws, which, in fact, are nothing like Georgia's voting laws. Uh, is the White House concerned that Major League Baseball is moving their All-Star game to Colorado, where voting regulations are very similar to Georgia? Well, Colorado uh, allows you to register on Election Day. Uh, Colorado has voting by mail, where they send to 100% of people in the state uh, who are eligible uh, applications to vote by mail. 94% of people in Colorado voted by mail in the 2020 election. Uh, and they also allow for a range of um, uh, materials to provide, uh, even if they vote on Election Day, for the limited number of people who, who vote on Election Day. I think it's important to remember the context here. Uh, the Georgia legislation is built on a lie. Uh, it's There was no widespread fraud in the 2020 election. Uh, Georgia's top Republican election officials have acknowledged that repeatedly in interviews. Uh, and what there was, however, was record-setting turnout, especially by voters of color. So. Instead, what we're seeing here is in, for politicians who didn't like the outcome, uh, they're not changing their policies uh, to win more votes. They're changing the rules to exclude more voters. And we certainly see the circumstances as different. But ultimately, sorry, let me add one more thing. It's up to Major League Baseball to determine where they're holding their all-star game. Okay. <laughs> Good job, Saki. Is it bad Peter Deuce? Peter Deucey? Is Peter, that who yeah. is? Baby Deucey? Uh, he certainly is clock. Very clean, I noticed Indeed. after that conversation. You know, and I could play one of those Jen Psaki wingnut smackdowns on this show every day. They may as well start with, uh, please, ma'am, may I have another? <laughs> I, and I suspect that, you know, her prep must be she watches 
Fox and Friends in the morning, sees what they're railing about and pretending to be outraged about on the couch there, and then just tells the truth about it when one of the Fox News knuckleheads shows up and asks her about it. Anyway, yes, I have digressed. (laughs) Back to Mitch McConnell and his pretend outrage. Uh, Having apparently become magically, suddenly concerned about corporate influence on politics, all of a sudden... McConnell complained in a statement on Monday that, to quote, we are witnessing a coordinated campaign by powerful and wealthy people to mislead and bully the American people. Dude, that's the world you created, man. You went all the way to the Supreme Court for McConnell versus FEC and Citizens United versus FEC to demand that corporations were actually people who had the right to free expression and that their money is actually speech somehow magically. Then, of course, when they use their actual speech, you're outraged about it. This is your doing, Mitch McConnell. Spare us your pretend outrage. In 2020, in fact, Mitch McConnell's super PAC raised more money than any other super PAC in existence. He raised $475 million from corporate CEOs and even corporations themselves. Corporations like Chevron and Coke Industries. You know, the fossil fuel industry, but I'll get to them in a moment. McConnell uh, complained uh, it's jaw-dropping to see powerful American institutions not just permit themselves to be bullied, but to join in the bullying themselves. He then uh, apparently went on to threaten corporations with, quote, serious consequences if they become a vehicle for far-left mobs to hijack our country from outside the constitutional order. Of course, they're supposed to be a vehicle for far-right mobs to hijack our country from far outside the constitutional order. Am I right, Mitch? Man, Esquire's uh, Jack Holmes notes today that uh, these companies are choosing to not do business in a state because they find its assault on its own citizens' rights to be odious. This, notes Holmes, is the free market, freedom of association, freedom of expression. Uh, Holmes says, unless Mitch McConnell doesn't like what you're doing, in which case it's blackmail, as he described it in his statement. I suspect we will be uh, discussing this nonsense as Republicans uh, try to find themselves for lack of any actual legislative agenda or for that matter, any governing values at all other than kissing up to their corporate masters who are they're now pretending to oppose. So we'll get back to that, I suspect. But while he's pretending, pretending that Republicans oppose corporations daring to have opinions about politics, oh my, where's the fainting couch? Particularly daring to speak out in favor of democracy? How controversial. Uh, What Republicans are actually doing to help their corporate friends, that's actually a different matter. While they're pretending to oppose them, uh, after years, by the way, of pretending that they are also in favor of local control of government and against big government at the federal level or even at the state level, well, 
The voter suppression bill in Georgia was not the only one passed by the uh, GOP-controlled state legislature there. Though big corporations apparently were in favor of this uh, this measure, so neither McConnell nor the uh, <coughs> Georgia Republican Governor Brian Kemp complained about them expressing their opinions about this. This uh, story uh, from Mary Landers at the Savannah Morning News a week or two ago, I've been trying to get to for a long time. The story actually starts last year when the eight-member Savannah, Georgia City Council had the temerity to unanimously pass Savannah's 100% clean energy resolution in the city council. Unanimously. It says that all electricity consumed in the state of Savannah will be generated from renewable energy by 2035. That is, looking at the calendar here, where are we, 2021? Okay, so that's about 15 years they will have to uh, figure out how to generate uh, energy by 2035 for, I guess, electricity. And then for all other energy needs, they'll, be, uh, they'll have to generate it from renewable energy by 2050, 30 years from now. The city council uh, passed this last year. They didn't even get their plan written to reach those goals before big government, big corporate state in Georgia, the lawmakers at the Capitol in Atlanta, with a helpful push, of course, from the fossil fuel industry, they passed legislation to make it essentially illegal to quit using natural gas. Now, uh, some people pretend that natural gas is great for uh, climate change. It's uh, way better than. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> okay, so so just the science yeah. is that natural gas has about half the emissions, the carbon emissions, as coal, but it still has carbon emissions. So it is not clean energy in the least. It is still emitting, and it also the process of drilling for natural gas and distributing natural gas has copious methane leaks, and that pretty much erases all of the benefits that you would get from switching from coal to natural gas because methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas. Well, that might be fine for you liberals in Savannah. <laughs> for us science people. But House Bill 150 uh, at the state government prevents local governments in Georgia from adopting building codes based on the source of energy that they use. Now, Desi, you tipped me off to this when you reported on this actually happening around the country a few weeks yep. ago on the Green News Report. The bill in Georgia was uh, recently passed by both the state House and Senate. It's headed to the gov to uh, Governor Kemp, who, if he hasn't done so already, is almost certainly uh, going to be signing this any second. Both, both of the uh, uh, state senators from Savannah Democrat Lester Jackson and Republican Ben Watson, they both voted against this bill, but they're not in the majority there. Savannah Alderman Nick Palumbo said last month, he said, we are a home rule state where local governments know best. And we're advocating to make sure that it stays that way so that your city has a choice in, the, in their energy choices. And House Bill 150, he said, would take away that right. It would preempt municipalities from being able to make those energy choices and force you, force you to take energy like coal or natural gas that maybe residents don't want into the future. 
So what do we have here? We have Republicans who used to pretend that they were against big government, that they were in favor of uh, small government, the people on the ground, the people who know things, you know, their, their needs the best, that them, they have the final say on these things. Home rule. Well, to hell with home rule. Now it's big government and big government on behalf of corporations, corporations who came out against the voting bill. So now Republicans hate corporations, except apparently only ones that disagree with them. In this case, Atlanta Gas Light doesn't see it that way. Uh, they don't see this as preempting a choice at the local level, or if they do, they think preempting choice at the local level is a good idea. And yes, by the way, the company is actually called Atlantic Gaslight. Natural gas, they said, is foundational to realizing a clean energy future, helping communities achieve their economic and climate goals while still maintaining reliability and affordability. That according to the spokesperson uh, in an email to the Savannah Morning News. So Atlantic Gaslight, what they're doing here is making sure that you keep using natural gas, which harms the environment because they are concerned about the environment. Got it? No wonder they're called Atlanta Gaslight. <laughs> I'll also add that natural gas use indoors increases indoor air pollution. And also, it's kind of strange when you think about it to have an open pressurized flame in your home that could explode at any time. Why are you always bringing up these <laughs> issues? Everything is fine. Atlanta Gaslight and its parent company, Southern Company Gas, uh, according to the spokesperson, said that HB 150 and similar legislation around the country that recognizes the importance of natural gas to driving growth and development and maintaining choice for local leaders. That would be choice for local communities that have chosen to not use natural gas, apparently. And by the way, uh, where are all the statements from Brian Kemp and Mitch McConnell outraged about a big corporation having an opinion on le uh, on legislation like this? Oh, that's right. They're only offended by it when the corporations uh, have opinions that Republicans don't like. And th in that case, it's what did McConnell call it? Extra constitutional bullying or whatever. Uh, Alex Muir of 100 Miles, which is a nonprofit working to protect the uh, Georgia coastline, recalled that Republican state uh, rep Casey Carpenter of Athens, Georgia, said before voting for the bill, the quote, we're all in favor of local control until locals get out of control. <laughs> well, there you go. That yeah. explains it, don't it? Like Savannah, Athens, Georgia has also passed a clean energy resolution which would be overruled by HB 150 with uh, that uh, Casey Carpenter voting against the wishes of her own constituents in Athens, apparently, but with the big corporations instead, because as Republicans clearly believe, big government and corporations know better than local government and individual citizens. So I told you, um, Republicans have lost their way. They've also lost their mind, but they've lost their way. What do these people even stand for anymore? HB 150 is part of a multi-state strategy to preempt clean energy measures in uh, in cities. 
The Natural Resource Defense Council reported in January the fossil fuel industry backed bills proposed in 14 states this year, including Arkansas, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Utah. They are all considering legislation to prevent local decision-making over the fuels that are used to power homes and other buildings. Missing from that list, by the way, is Ohio, where, uh, as uh, Ohio Capital Journal reported a week or so ago, in that state, House Bill 192 would prohibit city or county governments from banning the use of, quote, any fossil fuel for energy generation or the construction of a natural gas pipeline. Another bill in Ohio, House Bill 201, similarly would block local governments from passing any ordinance that, quote, limits or prevents consumer access to natural gas. This is going to be a very big fight in the days ahead, particularly as uh, states, beginning with Berkeley, California, back in 2019, passed legislation banning or limiting new natural gas hookups. It's happening all over the country. And where Republicans have control at the state level, they are banning those bans. Yes, keeping you shackled to fossil fuels, whether you like it or not. So where are the where are the Republicans being outraged about it, being outraged about, you know, Big government coming in and telling the little guys what to do. Well, they're not outraged at all. The bill HB 150 in Georgia passed even after an unsuccessful attempt, by the way, to add a five year sunset amendment to the bill uh, that was offered by a Democrat as a way to avoid locking in this policy forever and ever because it, you know, who knows, maybe it won't be relevant in a few years given the dynamic nature of the energy industry. The legislator, Senator uh, Alina Parent of DeKalb County, said, we don't have fracking or coal mining here in Georgia, but we do have solar. So they don't even have fracking or solar. But we do have solar, she said. Prohibiting us from embracing new technology and a smarter energy policy makes no sense. And yet her amendment failed and the legislation ultimately passed. As noted, it's not only Georgia. The fossil fuel industry is doing this all over the country in GOP-controlled states and cities, no matter what the voters or the local legislative bodies and town councils prefer. So pay attention to what is happening at the local level. And yes, please spare me your phony outrage about corporations having opinions about politics, Republicans. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Oh, I wish we could stop the world today. It yeah. is so confusing. It is so confusing trying to even make sense 
of what the Republicans are doing. Bad policies, stupid or otherwise, just trying to be able to explain it to uh, uh, people because it makes no sense at <laughs> True. all. True. It's not logical. It's political. On the other hand, always making sense is Desi Doyen in our latest Green News Report. It is a crisis at Piney Point. Tonight, crews are working around the clock to prevent an environmental disaster. Florida races to prevent massive toxic wastewater breach. Good infrastructure planning is always about looking to the future. Biden administration pushes back on Republican opposition to infrastructure jobs. Japan sees earliest cherry blossom peak in 1,200 years. Plus, victory for breathers in Springfield, Massachusetts. Breathe easy. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And I was shocked by how much doesn't go into infrastructure. It goes into pipes and different initiatives. Our water system is not infrastructure. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. I think she just cemented her status as the GOP's 2024 presidential frontrunner. Nice work, lady. Have another glass of lead. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyne, this story is not getting a lot of coverage. But it sure seems like it should. Yes. Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis declared a state of emergency over the weekend because a toxic wastewater reservoir near Tampa Bay is in danger of imminent collapse. More than 300 homes have been evacuated from the area surrounding Piney Point, a closed phosphate processing plant. Unable to plug the leaks, authorities are now working to drain the reservoir, according to Scott Hopes, acting Manatee County Administrator. We're talking about the potential of about 600 million gallons within a matter of seconds and minutes leaving that retention pool and going around the surrounding area. Keeping in mind that some of the water in that pool uh, is, is, is salt water. Uh, which doesn't go very well with our potato crops and things like that. But that means pumping millions of gallons of contaminated wastewater into Tampa Bay. Isn't there also some radioactive waste involved with this story as well? Yes, the plant's waste has some radioactivity, but they say that the water itself is not radioactive. Oh, I'm sure everything will be fine. Officials do say that the contaminated water is within legal limits, but environmental groups warn that the releases of water contaminated with mining waste phosphorus and nitrogen could trigger a red tide of toxic algae, which Clearwater Marine Aquarium warns could kill threatened manatees in Tampa Bay. The cost of cleanup and restoration at the Piney Point site could cost as much as $200 million. State officials were warned about this exact scenario when the plant closed 20 years ago. President Biden's new $2 trillion infrastructure jobs proposal released last week would help with that kind of dangerously decrepit, aging infrastructure and abandoned industrial sites. No, no. Republicans don't want any of that money. They don't want any help at all. Governor Ron DeSantis, I'm sure, is not interested. Yes, we'll get to that in a moment. The massive package would repair roads and bridges, water systems, ports, airports, but also take action to cut carbon emissions by modernizing the electric grid, building a national electric vehicle charging network, and much more. New polling shows strong majorities of Americans, including Republican voters, support Biden's infrastructure proposal, but Senate Republicans have already 
Party said they will not support it, and several other Republicans have attacked the proposal for not keeping to their extremely limited and narrow definition of traditional infrastructure as covering only roads and bridges. <laughs> In an interview with Fox News, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg pushed back, citing the deadly Texas blackout in February. I don't know why anybody would say it's a mistake to invest in the grid after what we just witnessed in Texas. So yes, infrastructure includes energy infrastructure. Buttigieg also said that a national electric vehicle charging network is absolutely critical infrastructure. Good infrastructure planning is always about looking to the future. You know, railroads weren't part of infrastructure until we built them. Now it's time to prepare for the future. And the millions of jobs that will be created by this bill are because this bill looks to the future. In other news, Japan's famous cherry blossoms have peaked at the earliest date in more than 1,200 years. That's according to data collected by Osaka University. Researchers said cherry trees are extremely temperature sensitive and the observed trend toward ever earlier peaks to the season is most likely due to man-made global warming. Finally, some good news for things that breathe in Massachusetts. The Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection has revoked a permit for a developer to build a controversial massive wood-burning power plant in Springfield, literally to burn wood to generate electricity. The agency revoked the permit on pollution and environmental justice grounds. Springfield residents have been fighting the plant for 12 years because their town has one of the highest rates of asthma in the nation. Wood is renewable energy, isn't it? Yes, it is. But it is dumb to burn it for electricity when we have clean solar and wind. Well, maybe dumb is in the lungs of the beholder. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Well done, Desi Doyen. Yep. Thank you very much. Desi Doyen is, of course, our producer and the secret mind behind everything that happens in the broadcast. <laughs> My thanks as well to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Or just hit any of those donate buttons you see at bradblog.com when you're there. We could really use your support right around now. So thank you uh, for those of you who have already done so. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. I will see you there until we see you here again next time. Hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Turn out.